Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Fincham. This is Behind the Movement. My guest today is Marie Janicek. Thrilled to share this conversation with you. I'll get to it momentarily. I have just a few announcements, and I'll try to keep them as short and sweet as possible. I have a big Infinite Play tour this spring and summer in North America and Europe. You can go to kylefintram.com for all the info on that, and I'll be giving more updates as it gets closer. This Saturday is the final Infinite Play in New York City, just a two-hour jam. It'll be in Prospect Park from 10 a.m. to noon. If you want to sign up for that, you can send me a message directly, or you can go to kylefintram.com, or you can just show up in Prospect Park and, uh, and find me. Uh, on Sunday, this Sunday... I'll be at Perry Dance facilitating movement conversations along with Roya Carreras, my good friend, my collaborator, and the the last three have been really wonderful. We have two more here. So if you're in New York, I'd love to see you there. That's Sunday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. And uh, I've got these awesome infinite play Ripstop, Guy Pants. Uh, I think I said on the last one, somewhere a few years ago, I started wearing my jujitsu pants whenever I went out to do anything that was movement, play, dance, fighting. I found that they were exactly what I wanted to wear because they could move in them and they were durable and I also thought they looked cool. So I, uh, I've got some made of my own. And they say infinite play on them. They got some cool patches and some fun design stuff. So if you want to order a pair... You can go to my website and go to the shop page, and all orders need to be received by April 11th. That's the deadline. Um, it's just a limited run. So yeah, if you want some, they're there. Come get them. That's my announcements. As I said, my guest today is Marie Janicek. A number of people had uh, told me that we should connect and they were absolutely not wrong. Uh, so, if, let me give you a little bit of Marie's background. Marie Janicek is a movement teacher and guide here to help others discover how movement shapes not just our physical bodies, but our mental, emotional, and spiritual selves as well. Through her experiences as a professional dancer, personal trainer, and health coach, she discovered that bringing attention to the emotions, sensations, and energies we feel within ourselves in relationship to our bodies and our movement practices is key to helping us find a more fulfilling and empowering relationship to our bodies and allows us to achieve our desires with more ease and less effort. She hosts the This Thing Called Movement podcast, a forum dedicated to changing our understanding of movement, and is the creator of Evona, a platform designed to share her personal movement methodology with any and all who want to explore a new way of moving, feeling, and being within their bodies. As has been the case for a number of the most recent podcasts, um, I feel like I was uh, talking to a kindred spirit, and I feel like I made a new friend. So a huge thank you to Marie for doing this conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Here it is, Marie Janicek. Are you still doing stuff online? 
I am like, I think the extent of what I do online right now is just podcasting. And um, right now it's, I'm mostly trying to build my one-on-one business again to create some income because I've been living without income for a couple of years. I'm full, like technically living with my parents at this point, which is a tremendous gift Mm -hmm. in so many ways, but wanting to sort of like, give myself a bridge to find like what the big business steps are going to be for me outside of one-on-one and realizing that maybe I need some time to, to like get deeper into my own processes to figure out what that looks like in terms of online systems and structures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. Everything just changed overnight. (sighs) And now it's like, you almost have to be kind of an expert at so many things. That, yeah. you, that you never knew existed before. And even making the discernment as to like, I think when the pandemic hit, so many movement practitioners just were like, all right, like just Zoom classes or subscription services or like make a platform. And for some people that worked really well, but I think in many ways it was a narrow-minded and kind of like necessary shift and that made the most sense in many ways but something i'm really interested in is you know the power of the internet as a technology the power of movement as a technology and the many like opportunities or potentials to use these technologies in ways that are outside the norm that may actually be way more resonant and beneficial for people um so i recognize that what i had been doing had largely been following molds and and structures of other businesses who found success in that, but recognizing through attempting to do that, that there's something there, like with the core premise I was trying to teach that didn't allow that core premise to shine in the way I wanted it to. And um, giving myself that permission to be like, all right, you learn through that process, step back, refocus, allow yourself time to play around and explore where the stakes don't feel so high and and let let those new ideas and those new opportunities for creativity and clarity come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I struggled or as things have kind of like started to change, mm-hmm. and like I understand this because I, I felt the same thing where it was like, oh, the internet is where it must go now to some mm-hmm. degree because we're like we're you know everybody has to kind of be away from one another. And then, you know, I started thinking more and more about, well, like, what do I care about? Like, what do I believe in? Like what matters? Mm. And the being with people thing is the equate is the part of the equation that is hard to address in the internet. Oh my gosh. You don't address it in the internet. <laughs> right. And, and I feel like even before the pandemic, there was so much not being with people mm-hmm. and there, there are repercussions of that because it's like, we have you know, we're social creatures and that's been manipulated by like social media, but that's not Mm -hmm. the authentic kind of social networking. Mm -hmm. And we have the ability to like self-regulate and co-regulate and all of these things. And it's just, it it can be a giant disservice. Like, even though there's maybe the financial upticks, I realize um, long-term and maybe culturally and societally of like everything being interneted. (laughs) <laughs> and like, is it, is there actually a financial uptick of being online <laughs> if it's sucking the life out of you to like be there? Right. Maybe not, you know? Um, 
And, and I think like I'm, this is like a process all of us go through that never really ends, but you know, I'm so passionate about this field and I have so many things I want to share with people. And I think something I'm realizing is instead of necessarily needing to build a business about it, I can just find ways to share what I think has been most game-changing for me in a profound way to people. And podcasting is an incredible opportunity for that. And so is social media, mm-hmm. but um, you know, building a business through the internet is a very different thing. And I'm starting to realize that if I'm going to build any sort of movement oriented business online, it has to be more like an educational and community oriented thing rather than a practice mm-hmm. um, or a methodology online. I think the practical application and methodology practices really live in the in-person setting like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a place that I love being in too. Um, but I'm also learning that I can't, if I have to depend on that exclusively for my income, it's that's a really tough place for me because I tend to give too much in in-person settings. And that's just the piece about it I love, but it means I have finite hours there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that's sort of like the beauty of being human is we all have individual rhythms and energy flow and, and it's a matter of allowing ourselves to embrace those unique differences um, and celebrate them and find a way to prioritize them within ourselves rather than just like, oh, this is what everyone else does, or this is what I should be doing. And I think that's also a huge thing in movement practices too, that we see people struggling with this idea of should and supposed to versus, well, where are you and what do you need right now? And what feels fundamentally important to you in this moment to address? Yeah, I, that's such a good point. It's often, it's like in, in movement practices, there's often like just a lot of people pointing at one mountain that everybody's supposed to hike up, Yep. you know, but like when you watch these like wonderful documentaries about like Everest or something, there are tons of mountains all over the place. Yeah. You know, everybody's just chosen to go up Everest, but yeah. there are all these different peaks that people could be hiking to. Right. Yeah. And then everybody can gather at different places and talk about what they saw. And some mm-hmm. people might even not, might not even go up to the top of the mountains. They might just like hike through the valleys and they're like, oh, hey, I saw all this amazing stuff too. And yeah. there's not a lot of like new ideas to share when everybody's gone up and saw, seen the same, same summit and just gone back down. Oh, I mean, have you seen the documentary 14 Peaks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's so fascinating because there's technically, you know, all these incredible mountains that are a feat in and of themselves to accomplish. And all we know about are, is Everest mm-hmm. um, because of populist perspective. And it's so fascinating to see how populist perspective gets in the way of something like human experience and pleasure and joy and well-being. And, and that's such a beautiful parallel of mountain climbing and, and seeing these like peaks with, you know, how we approach moving our bodies and, engaging with this incredibly smart and infinitely complex and beautiful vessel Mm -hmm. and how often people are just trying to accomplish the one thing because it's in the populist zeitgeist rather than maybe allowing themselves permission to not and to explore some of the other things that are just as important just as monumental whether it's scaling that peak or 
as you so beautifully put it, you know, just rumbling around in the valley. Yeah. I um I had a conversation recently with a friend and we were talking about like this idea of the ecology of movement. Mm. Right. And he told me about this and maybe you, you've heard about this, but I hadn't, but I guess at some point, I don't know when, I think it was in Russia, they were doing some sort of research where they were taking like an acre of land and then dumping mm. some sort of really toxic chemical on it. Mm. And the first time they did it, they just took an acre that was totally empty and they dumped this toxic chemical. And then of course nothing grew. Mm. Then they took another acre and they laid out just grass. And then they t- put, they put the toxic chemical down and the grass died. Then they took mm. another acre. They took, they put the grass down and then added one more thing like trees. And then it killed it. But they kept doing this and adding more elements, right? Mm, Adding mm -hmm. animals and adding more plants. And it actually got to a point at one point where they put the toxic chemical down and it didn't kill everything because like the ecology had become so strong that it could, it could take care of itself. And we were talking about that in terms of movement and being like, you know, if you're just grass, if, if it's just a whole bunch of grass when like the chemical comes rolling in, like you're actually pretty unstable. Like you're not, mm. you're, you're, you're vulnerable. But when you have the, the rabbits and the deer and the, and all the different pe- and the grass and the, this and the, that, it's like, you have this really strong, sustainable ecology. Right. And we can look at that in movement too, where it's like, if, if all the, the, capital M movers just stay together and that's all that they're looking at. It's like, well, you're just grass then. But if it's like, if there's people from this part of the dance world and this part of like acrobatics and circus and, and then capital M movement, but it's all this like dynamic interaction in this like beautiful ecology, then like everything is supporting one another, Mm. you know, Mm. Um, like there's supposed to be the differences. It's not supposed to be the same. They're supposed to be rabbits and they're supposed to be deer and they're supposed to be trees. Yeah. And, you know, variability and variety is such a quintessential part of life Mm -hmm. and evolution and expansion. And, you know, when we diminish ourselves into just one thing, it's like you meant it's inherently unstable, actually, like there's prone to so many opportunities for upheaval. But when you have all these different elements, they begin to intertwine and weave into one another and play off of each other and create something that's incredibly complex and as a result, incredibly robust and smart. And I, one of my favorite uh, ways to demonstrate this to people through the lens of movement is through this idea of a couple of axes, um, like on an X and a Y graph. And One thing that I notice, especially as I come initially from a dance background, is sort of this lack of creativity that happens in most popular fitness trends. And the fact that so much of the general population's approach to movement is all about the structure and the discipline and following those structures and disciplines rather than allowing yourself to sort of color outside the lines. And then I, it's interesting to notice the gap that then happens when you ask people to just move freely or, you know, to express themselves through movement, whether they're in a dance class or in a more play oriented setting. But most importantly, we see this happen in social situations where that's asked of us and people get very 
afraid and they feel so vulnerable often because they've not actively been in concert with this element of their movement experience. And so if you have this one line that is sort of structure versus creativity, and then you have the line that crosses it, which I always conceptualize this in terms of order, right? Like organization versus chaos being in the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, I think these are really powerful elements that are worth examining in our movement practice that help us understand this idea of variability and ecology and have more appreciation for all the aspects of movement that maybe don't fit in some of these more traditional and popular and trendy movement systems that most people try and orient around. You know, you can even add things like walking onto this graph. You can add things like dancing or you know, even cleaning your house in some ways has an element to, of chaos in there that allows your body to express that vo- that variability in ways that you don't necessarily when you go into a fitness class that's designed with a specific set of structure and movement protocols. And for me, this was the most powerful aspect of my movement training as a dancer was being in these realms of having to get creative with movement. And sometimes it was creative for an aesthetic. Sometimes it was creative because you had to figure out like how to create a partnering sequence with someone and not injure them. Mm -hmm. And at other times it was just creative for the sense of fun. But while working with this creativity and then the sense of the unknown, this sort of chaotic aspect where you couldn't necessarily always be prepared for predictable outcomes. You had to be ready to shift and pivot as necessary. I saw that these aspects were huge in changing my versatility, my capacity and my strength as a mover, especially when I went into more structured forms. And it's a really interesting paradox where witnessing so many people being worried about being able to fit in the structure and being worried about going outside those lines or failing to be uncomfortable in those less structured settings. But those places are actually such a powerful piece of helping dimensionalize our movement practice and in many ways give us the ability to craft that ecology and craft that diversity and make our systems and ourselves more robust beings as a result. And uh, I would add as well, there's like this thing that I think about that, like whatever we're practicing, you know, it's not, it's not limited to those like four walls or that park or whatever, like it transcends. So like when we're continuing to like put things in box and we're, when we were continuing to like structure things, we're walking out into the world expecting there to be boxes and structures, right? Yeah. When, when yeah. it's just, when it's just not life, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's when we start playing, you know, like, uh, you know, the infinite or the finite games where it's like, because we're afraid of like things challenging our structure, we start trying to like defeat them or submit them mm. rather, rather than dancing with them, mm. you know? So, yeah, I think a lot about like, the the mindset that um kind of playing in that realm of the unknown helps facilitate Mm. yeah i think it's i think it's such a powerful place and i'd actually be curious to hear from you like what are Mm -hmm. some of your favorite ways 
of actively creating practices or engagement around the unknown? Um, that's a good question. I think that uh, I think that I at some point not too long ago I decided that I was going to just choose a different idol for my movement practice. And I've said it on here before, but at some point I was like, I'm not so interested in like, um, like Bruce Lee, even though I think Bruce Lee is amazing. I just don't know enough about him, but I don't know if he was playful. Right. I think he, and he could be, but I just don't know enough, but I do know that Bill Murray was very playful, is very playful, you know, and like that ability to kind of get lost in, in the world comfortably. Mm. or confidently. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that I, I'm most interested in. Like, how do we facilitate getting lost? And the more we get lost, the more comfort and confidence I think we have with being lost. Mm. Right. Oh, so that's yeah. why I, I lean hard into like, into, into play. Um, but it can be dancing and it can be fighting. They're all the same kind of things to me. Um, but so much of my approach kind of strips away anything that involves judgment or winning or defeating um, and, and really kind of focusing on like the play to play, which is to me, like, how do we do something, but just like do it with the intention of like keeping the play going. Right. Mm. And to do that, I think we need to just not be addicted to competence. Oh, that is a, such a powerful statement right there. I'm like, I want to memorize that. <laughs> well, it's it's <laughs> definitely, it, 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 yeah, I say it all the time and I often have to, you know, reiterate that it's not mine. I like, uh, it's something I read in a book called Die Wise and I ended up oh. repeating it quite a bit, but um, yeah, so it's not the, an exact answer to what I do, but I think I, I just do at least a very okay job of just pointing at things and being like, Hey, let's go look what's over there. And let's go look what's over there. And, mm. and, and asking questions rather than giving answers. And I think that structures give answers. Yeah. And structures and, and, and a lot of structures also like exist or, or whatever they've decided their answers. And yeah. also kind of um, uh, getting stuck in like the things that are super defined. Mm. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are defined, but we've defined them. Yeah. And, and those definitions are super limiting as well as powerful because then we can talk about them, but there's this whole world of like undefined. And oh yeah. And the definition, go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, no, please. <laughs> I was going to say like all these definitions that we see as true are only true through our contextualization of them or sort of our observation of them. Um, and so when you mentioned structures give answers, I think they give us answers, the answer that we're sort of ready to hear at that moment. And oftentimes that, that sort of can be that razor's edge where that answer could be fluctuating in response to so many other contexts and circumstances in our life. And if we get too focused on like what that answer was in that moment and we try and hold ourselves to it, we're actually limiting so many of the more powerful answers that could be coming through a structured system later. But if we don't have an active relationship with the unknown and and less structured systems and more of this ambiguity, we don't have the 
openness or the receptivity to be able to watch those truths change. And it's really, I, this is like, it was the biggest life-changing moment for me when I left dance and like had not been engaging with the medium for several years. And my way back in was just renting out studio space by myself and giving myself this two hour window every week to move in whatever way I wanted and not pay attention to what I looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, It was insane to see how often these limitations of structures, the belief systems, the psychology around it would come up and invade that practice and get in the way of me being able to just be in this open receptive feeling curiosity playfully oriented space and as I sort of like met that part of myself and continued to say hello to it and you know have these sort of like conversations and dialogues between moving and journaling and even just like observing these thoughts as they came up it was really fascinating to just see how how much I was unwinding just by being in this open practice. And also kind of interesting to note that I think on many levels, so many of us want to experience that kind of freedom, whether it's in body or like life circumstances and permission to like be who you are and do what you want. And when those opportunities present themselves, so often we freeze and then we defer to these programs of structure (laughs) almost Mm -hmm almost right in that moment and to see how quickly that would play out in movement practice it was a big light bulb moment for me to realize that this was actually a pattern that was also at play in my life so even as I continue to try and make these big life transitions as a as a movement teacher a guide as a as an entrepreneur and and someone who's trying to build businesses right this noticing how often these this desire for safety through structure comes in and impedes my growth is something I'm always really fascinated by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, there's so many books that have written some version of it, but the idea that like boundaries are there for us to play with, not within, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're there for us to like be little pieces on the board to move around. And it's so tempting to have that illusion of control by like staying with the defined thing but like you when we look at the rest of uh of life right Mm. it's not moving with structures like they you know things organize but they don't structure you know i think i always like use like the idea of like the roots of a tree and the way they kind of like navigate the soil and it's like you know that's more like what we're like if we allow it to be, you know, they're not trying to force through anything. There's not these exact patterns that they have to kind of do. They, they kind of dance with the soil, you know, Mm. but I also realize that also that takes humility, right. To be like, there's always a with. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I've come to believe, and I'd love your thoughts on this. um, Mm. That to me, like what a movement, what I care about in movement and at least like what I, invest time in is creativity, adaptability, and cooperation. Like those to me are kind of like the tools because they're the things that I think help us be playful. They're like the Mm. tools for playfulness. If we want to move through the world prepared for surprise, those are kind of the things, Mm -hmm. but they're always involved with, 
Mm-hmm. Right. It's creative with your body or it's creative with another, another person or it's creative with the space you're in or you're adapting to s- situations in your body or adapting to another person or adapting to the space or cooperating in those same three scenarios. And then all the other pieces like the def- definitions or the structures or the, the things that uh, are techniques or strengths or mobilities all kind of can fill in underneath those explorations. Yeah. Well, for one of the favorite metaphors I like to use often, mm-hmm. um, and I don't, I, I haven't heard anybody else use this. This might've been something that I, it occurred to me, or it might've existed elsewhere. I'm not exactly sure, but I really see movement as a technology similar to the technology of the internet. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't actually understand how the internet works. Um, we conceptualize the fact that there's some sort of ether out there that we use these devices and the energy within our devices creates these data streams of communication to allow us to play with it and then have all these apps, all these programs, websites, everything that's been born from the inception of noticing the space of sort of waves and frequencies and particles on a um, atomic level. And I think movement actually is similar to the internet in that it is sort of this ether or this entity that we can plug into through several different ways. But as you mentioned, there is definitely a width because movement connects us to something. And just like when you go into your phone and you select the app for the application or the focal point you're looking to use the internet or that technology for, this is the piece that most people, in my opinion, don't quite have as much of a appreciation for in that most people are using the movement, aka the internet for one or two of like the millions of applications that actually exist out there. So it would be like taking your, like having this super fancy phone and only ever using it to check your email Mm -hmm. or only listening to the voicemails people leave for you, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and meanwhile, like having access to all this other stuff. And I think the main, the main issue is we've devalued movement because we've devalued our bodies. And I'm very fascinated in sort of the history around how we got to this place of having such a prioritization of our intellect and our mental acuity and how we got there while leaving our bodies behind and sort of treating them as baser components of ourselves, like the meat sack or the machine that like you kind of have to take care of. So your brain functions. Um, There's a great book that I think does a really interesting job of showing this uh, historical pathway. It's called The Extended Mind Mm -hmm. by Annie Murphy Paul. Highly recommend it, especially first three chapters are all about how movement is such an important part of our thinking and our mental acuity, which I love. And I do think that for me, and and this has been my favorite piece of teaching people, whether it's in workshops and one-on-one settings and classes is watching them tap into different 
elements of this movement technology beyond some of these basic applications that they've been so used to using it for and having that sort of lightning strike moment where they tap into this hugely profound awareness of themselves or this hugely profound experience of themselves through another application of it outside of the bounds of what they were used to and watching them kind of come out of that realizing whoa like there's so much more I can experience through this body that I wasn't even aware of and so much greater sense of self-actualization and self-respect and even the ability to create your own sense of joy and ecstasy through your body without needing external circumstances or people or events to support that. Um, For me, that this is sort of the part of movement technology that I'm most obsessed with is sort of like how we can create these really powerful ecstatic experiences that typically we wait for outside circumstances, events, and people and things to generate. And in fact, we can self-generate them ourselves. And a lot of meditation and sort of wellness practices talk about this dynamic, but it's usually through stillness. And, And I think there's this whole world out there where movement can generate this in so many ways. And this is such a powerful piece of movement that gets left behind and popular fitness culture where hustle and grind and suffering and struggle are your major, I guess, value systems for knowing that you're on the right track, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I totally agree. I think you like, you put it so well, like when I think of what you're describing, I always like, I always distill it down to like, um, like full body listening. Mm. right like that's what we have the potential for and we often it's like i guess in our culture like are always building things around like growth right so that how do we increase productivity Mm. right and you know it's what i'm what we're describing is not really that thing it's actually just exploring our potential for communication and you know we have as you said, it's almost like we start breaking everything into pieces, right? So it's like, oh, like my body, but it's also like well, your body's attached to your brain. And then also you have all these senses, right? And that's how you like get the feedback about the world and what's going on around you. And they weren't there for you to just like scroll Facebook or, or, or you know, smell perfume or something like they were there because of, for like much more primal reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it all interacts together. And exploring those things in their kind of wholeness is maybe what we would describe as like being present. Yeah. Right. And it's like, so the being present thing is, is super valuable. And I think that people talk a lot about it and they talk a lot about flow and this and that, but it's a lot to ask of people to be present and be time traveling at the same time when they're thinking about the moves that they're supposed to do or the moves they're allowed to do or what they need to work on so that they'll be better at this thing or how they didn't get strong enough a year ago to be able to do the things today when it's like, well, that's all fine. But I think we exist in that place an awful lot. Like the, the should have done and going to do, 
Mm. And, you know, the, the, the deep listening, the full body listening happens when it's like, you know, I'm great right now, whatever I got, like, let's take it and run with it. I mean, I got so many chills listening to you say that because this feels all of this lines up so beautifully with so much of what I felt really strongly about in my tenure as a, as a movement professional. And I think, you know, something about full body listening, like you mentioned, if you're in a class or, or you're worried about the next sequence of move or the timing or how long you have to be doing something, you're not, you're not able to cultivate that presence. Slowing down is such an important foundation to being able to even pave the way for body listening. And if you think about how most people are jumping into movement practice, it's not slowing down first to like, let me understand the language of sensation as you know, my body is starting to try and communicate to me through this language. It's just like, Oh yeah. Like do stuff. And if I can't move or I get injured and I'm hurt, then, then I start to pay attention. And, and also this key aspect of when you're not in structured forms, the only thing you have is your body listening, (laughs) you -hmm. know? And it's, I find it really fascinating that, that there, I think people feel very afraid of this space and it's normal to feel afraid of something. If you haven't spent time with it, especially if you've spent decades away from it, like most people in adulthood have at this point, especially our generation where we by and large sat at desks for a huge part of our education. And most of the fastest pathways towards financial security also involved a lot of sitting and a lot of sort of pruning away that movement diversity. Mm-hmm. But if we want to have a deeper relationship with ourselves, and I mean this holistically because body and mind are the same, they are one, they are inseparable. If we want to improve any level of who we are as human beings and improve the efficiency of our experience in any way, whether you're talking about productivity or even your emotional intelligence, so you can register what's happening in your interactions with people, even if you want to improve something like your physical aesthetic or capacity or strength, you have to have this foundation of being able to pick up on your body signals and know what they mean, (laughs) know what it's saying. And I firmly believe this is a very nuanced and unique relationship that's specific and different for every body and every person. And it's a matter of taking the time and being willing to give yourself that space to hear those signals and to get acquainted with those sensations. And the more you give yourself that permission, that space, which often means slowing down and also includes being in more of these open-ended, structureless places, that's where we can gain that foundation back. And then when we go into structured systems, we have something really powerful to work with because we can register everything that our body is communicating to us in that process. And then we have a much better chance of actively being present in our movement practice anytime we're stepping in. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always use like the line, like, like the idea of like putting our hands in the dirt of life. And that's like the, I don't know, that's kind of what I felt like you're describing there. It's like, I think people almost think that like the, the sensations, they have to be able to put words to them, right? Or they have mm. to know. And it's like, that might also not be the case. You know, like there are people who are so kind of in touch with like the land because they exist outdoors in like this really rich way (coughs) that they know days in advance, for instance, when it's going to (coughs) rain. And they're like, I can't describe it. Mm. I just know how to like feel that thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's from like being available and like asking your senses to be involved because they're like, they're your hands are in the dirt you know, mm-hmm. and maybe part of it is that like, we have this privilege of like uh, getting the cherry pick when we get to turn our senses on, right? Yeah. And when in reality, they're happening all the time. But, you know, that's why I think people gravitate and think that like, oh, like that full body feeling, that full body listening is meant for the peaks. Mm. And I'll, you know, that we've got to pay to get to the peak to like have that experience. And mm it's just not the case, you know, like two things come to mind. I always like, I'm not going to say it over and over, but I always tell people that they should watch the movie soul because I feel like soul hits the nail on the head, the Pixar movie with this. But then I also just watched um, this documentary series on HBO called the hundred foot wave. Have you seen it? No, but I've, I've seen it pop up in my suggested. Super interesting. Hmm. Um, But it's about the big wave at Nazare. And there's this guy, Garrett McNamara, who's like the first American to go there and start surfing it and made it popular. And all these people started kind of flooding into the big waves. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know of Garrett. Yeah. Okay. I've, yeah. So there's this beautiful moment at the end where now he's a little older. I think he maybe he's in his fifties, which is obviously not old, but in surf world, big wave surf world, and you've been beaten up. It's like, he's, he's been beaten up and he's got a little bit of trauma from like being barreled under a lot. And he's got some injuries he's dealing with, but his dream was to ride this hundred foot wave, you know, mm. and it's the end. And he's sitting on the beach in Hawaii with his family. And it's like a mid COVID they've been locked down and he's sitting there watching his kids swim and everything. And you hear the documentarian ask him something like, well, how do you feel about the hundred foot wave right now? Like, do you, does that still like what you care about? And he said, you know, the thing about riding the hundred foot wave or riding a big wave in general is that like, it makes all your senses come alive and you have to be totally present, mm. right? Like it, it asks you to be so there. Yeah. And he said, but I've come to realize that the hundred foot wave is happening right now. And he like points out at his kids and the sand and like these little tiny waves breaking. He's like, like, there it is. We're living, we're on the hundred foot wave. You know, and then he look and he looks at the camera and he says this beautiful line. He says, "If we're riding the hundred foot, or if we're living life like we're riding the hundred foot wave, we're gonna have some pretty great days." And I'm like, "That's the thing. Grab it, oh. pack it up. Let's go ride the hundred foot wave, moment like, after moment." Like wiping <laughs> away tears of joy here, because like as you were describing that story, I could feel my whole body light up in that very visceral fully tapped in tuned in sense mm-hmm. um and this was the thing i loved about dance growing up it's also the thing i loved about going really deep into meditative practices was 
being able to turn on this sensory receptivity that had me feeling so vital, so alive, where every detail of the most mundane aspects of life becomes magical. And Mm -hmm. all of it feels powerful and important and valuable. And, and, And when you have that kind of reverence for these basic things that we take for granted, it, it just changes how you see life and it changes how you choose to move within it, not just move like in a physical context, but in the greater like figurative sense of the word move. I mean, I also geek out about words and language a lot because Mm -hmm. there's so much that rides on the communication of specific words, but then there's so much that can never be expressed through words. So it's an effective communication and then also largely falls short when we're trying to create communication at levels that we imagine and we assume are happening, but are not. Um, All this to say that I think something that I am very always curious about is this idea of spirituality and how so much spirituality seems to be taught through this lens of sort of ascending the body, or or at least that's been my interpretation of it, both as someone who practices meditation and a lot of these spiritual themed techniques, and as somebody just watching from the outside, seeing how it's all discussed. And having this in one hand, and then in the other hand, having these incredibly transformative experiences through movement in the body, whether they are fantastical and athletic and incredible, or whether they are simple and mundane, I think something I feel very strongly about is the fact that having a body is such a beautifully powerful and profound spiritual experience. And so many of the things that we try and quote unquote ascend from, or, you know, move ourselves away from in some way, shape or form are actually sort of the meat of what it means to be a human and what it means to be here. And this plugging into the sensory aspect of our body and, and like really being fully alive and tuned into our bodies is, is one of the most profound and delicious and fulfilling experiences that there is. And this is why I'm obsessed with movement because you can tap into that. There's so many flavors and so many nuances and so many ways and, and there's just so much to explore there. The journey never really ends because, because this sea is vast and it's so deep and it goes out so far. And it's really fascinating to me how with you know 30 plus years of movement practices under my belt, there's always more I can tap into. And every time I tap into a new practice, I'm learning new lessons about myself, new lessons about this incredible organism and vessel that is my body and mind all in one, and new dimensions of what it means to be alive in this time and this space that I hadn't been able to connect with before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think what you're describing is like why, you know, and I don't know how, how, you address this because we kind of open talking a little bit about business things 
Mm-hmm. But I know the thing that I struggle with is like oftentimes making it a commodity because yeah. I'm like, from a citizen perspective, you know, these are not things that I think only some people should have. And I struggle with that quite a bit. And uh, because I think that the world looks, looks a lot different if, if people have access to these things. And at, at any other time in history, it's, it wouldn't have been a commodity, right? It would have been like a part of the, the culture and the society because we all would have known that people having access to these things helps the whole tribe. Yeah. So it's a, it's a funny little thing to have to, not even, I shouldn't say it's a funny little thing. It's a, it's a quite meaningful thing to kind of address and reconcile with because yeah, like what do we want to see in the world? You know? I mean, this is why I sort of have so much conflict within myself mm-hmm. as with the identity of being a businesswoman and an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, because I also believe these are fundamental truths that everyone has access to and should ha- be able to learn. And I mm-hmm. and I so deeply want to do my best to make what I have learned and the way I see things as widely accessible to as many people as possible. I think at the same time, you know, you also have to take care of yourself and feed yourself. And when you're somebody who's chosen to take your passion and your purpose and tie that to your income, it can be a very, very complex thing. And this is something I'm still sort of working my way Mm -hmm. around right now, because, yeah, I think I, in some ways, beyond my own stability and sort of financial prosperity. I just, I just want to change this dynamic for people because as you stated, I see and know like deep, deep, deep to like the core of my bones that when people have this, it changes how we are in relationship to one another. And I think a lot of the conflicts that our society suffers from today become less prevalent, less intense when people are able to tap into themselves on this foundational needed level. I think a lot of, a lot of the conflicts we see, a lot of the disassociative patterns and structures and systems and hierarchies and um, conditioning patterns we see comes from just this core disassociation that we all live with all the time. And so many people are just trying to fill the void with the wrong thing because they're not correctly listening to these signals. And so it's a, it's a challenging question that I don't really have an answer to (laughs) and Mm -hmm. a huge reason why, like, you know, as I open, I'm giving myself time Mm -hmm. um, to figure out like a way, a way that I can find, find common pathways and find intersections and connections between all these pieces of this thing that means so much to me that I care so much about that I want so many people to have as well and like figure out what is really the path of least resistance for this to come forward um and I believe that it comes forward not through 
singular individuals, although we all have our part, but through like a collective communal sharing and awakening. And, and that, that's for me, what is so powerful about mediums like podcasting, like having these conversations for others to tune into as long as this conversation is up, which is years, you know, and, or could be even decades. We we'll see where it goes, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's challenging because it's much more than just like trying to create a business. Um, I know that for me, I, I want to witness a change, like a revolutionary change in perspective here, a revolutionary change of how we as humans now relate to our bodies. And at the same time, I think when we look back at our past and we see these societies in which it looks like people understood this at a better level, I think we also have to acknowledge that, yes, like tribes did value the body in a much higher way, but that was also necessary for survival. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, the tides have turned where we now have to prioritize what's happening mentally, our mental stamina and acuity for our survival. And when that's the dynamic at play, it's really hard to be able to attend to your body. So in many ways, like with the technological advancements, we've flipped this equation in a really, um, if I'm going to use the word that I feel about it, terrifying way, because it, it works against our evolutionary biology. It works against a lot of how we were designed to function, but like we're sort of swimming in the in the effects of a system that we created and then we're having to relearn and restructure. So I think this, this renaissance we're seeing as a result of the pandemic, this new desire and search for embodiment and wanting to have a healthier, more fulfilling relationship with our body, this reawakening of body-mind connection and not seeing these as separate, the direction that we're having to come at this from is entirely different from before and in many ways because we're not beholden to our bodies for survival in the same way it just really changes the nature of how we are existing within our bodies and then how we are navigating this relationship mm -hmm. yeah yeah have you ever read marshall McLuhan? do you know uh understanding media Oh my goodness, no, but it sounds like I should. <laughs> no, it's like totally in your wheelhouse. But um, yeah, just the idea of like understanding that like technology isn't what it does. Like mm -hmm. the iPhone isn't what it does. The iPhone isn't the text messaging machine and the calling machine and the social media and app machine. It's like the technology is actually how it changes us socially and psychologically which is an extension of our nervous system. Yeah. And it's super significant when it's looked at that way, because I think we get caught up on like the content of something yeah. and not like the, the, the bigger ripples outside of the content. And, you know, as humans, anything we create is a reflection of ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, everything that's ever made, made it big into general, like public, um, or modernization where everybody has it 
it's because it's been such a powerful reflection of like where our focus already is. And somebody just created the next tool to be an extension of that. And so what we're watching when we see the sort of both the highlights of it and the downfalls of it is we're seeing an amplification of things that were already present within us to begin with, but now they're just exaggerated in such a undeniable way. And then we have to, we actually have to exert so much more focus and discernment in making choices around these systems because the amplification and the ramifications extends so much further and beyond just the thing itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's not very energy efficient. It keeps us <laughs> no. kind of like on a hamster wheel constantly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting time, um, especially as we're watching the internet continue to evolve between cryptocurrency NFTs and web three Um yeah, I and at the same time, I've been saying this to many of my colleagues and, and dear friends within the movement space. I feel very strongly that so many of us who've been in this space and felt like outliers for so long. I don't know if you felt that way. I know I felt this way, um, even though I know I have many people who are like minded. And, and this conversation is such a powerful reminder of that, that there's so many of us who are who have poured our hearts and time and soul and really our lives um, and so much of our lives and have put so many other things on hold in our lives for this service and for this ability to teach in this way. But I really feel strongly that with the direction everything has continued to accelerate in with technology and the ramifications we're watching happen for people, not just physically, but psychologically, mentally, emotionally, anxiety, depression, you know, all these things, we're seeing how deeply interwoven there are. I can feel there's a large call and a large asking happening from like general collective to come back into harmony with ourselves and to come back in harmony with ourselves by coming back into the body. And so I'm really interested to see how this, this evolution of what used to be fitness is going to expand into more movement, um, the movement arena, bigger than fitness, bigger than just these exercises for these sets and these reps. And I'm really excited to see how this technology of movement is going to start expanding in the next few decades. I have a, I have a very strong feeling it will be exploding in big ways. And I think there's going to be a lot of interesting ways that people are going to innovate how to teach and how to reach people through these systems that we've already been locked into and feel a powerful connection with. Um, I know you're already doing that in many ways and I'm, I'm in process and doing that in my way and excited about what's about to come, but yeah, I think we're, we're on the brink of a very important transition point, um, not just like post-pandemic, but we're looking at that, a big transition sociologically, culturally, politically, and not just in the U.S., but across the globe. And along with that, I see a very clear connection to health, um, mental health, emotional health, and especially this bigger question of 
what is our body? What does it mean to us? How, how do we view our relationship to our bodies in context of our lives? And how can we begin to reimagine some of the details of this beyond the confines of the structures we got pushed into or indoctrinated into in the last few decades? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that there's like a, like an even bigger swing due to the pandemic? It's like, like for a couple of reasons, like for example, like people who had so much more time like online and they were like discovering all these things. And then also there's this like broader sweep for, I don't know, wanting to be with people, you know? And so much of like the things that we're talking about are things that like gather people. So it's like, yeah. oh, well then I'll, I'll go do that thing. Yeah. It's interesting because yes, there's been this shift of everybody like having to be online, which fundamentally changed how we were in our bodies. And I think for many, some people brought them into their bodies more others. It just made them so deeply aware of how they took for granted something that was always there. Then while we are starting to have stuff open up yet, we're not anywhere near the range of where things were pre-pandemic. And um, I see that a lot is still happening remotely. So even with people's desire to be together in the flesh, in real life, because that's a strong desire for me too, I've noticed way, I already, I always notice this, but it's just so much more amplified now the difference of being with bodies in person moving versus through a screen or on my own. Mm -hmm. And while things are opening up, I don't, I don't know that we've like quite caught up yet to all the desires that everybody has, because for some people, the option to do things at home remotely has opened up a lot of freedom to tap into their bodies. And at the same time, there is desire for certain practices to be in person that just haven't made their way out yet. Um, But that is the very reason I feel we're at like this crucial tipping point because people have been exposed to way more than they had been before. People also have more options and choices for how they can plug into things. And I think there's, I think the movement and fitness industries are still in the midst of this very interesting churn and turnover where I don't know about you specifically, but myself and many people I know who were in the movement space exclusively working in person, like that whole industry kind of got axed overnight. So many gyms closed, so many people had to switch online and weren't able to do so 100%. And that has not fully returned yet. But in that transition, I think there's just been a lot, a lot of new potentials that have opened up in new ways and a lot of even newer potentials that we can't quite see or imagine just yet, especially as some of these other arenas like the internet are continuing to shift. And even, you know, even our societal structures, you know, our governments, our our cultural mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. There's, 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 there's big, like, there's big waves that are like happening that we're like on right now. And people don't even necessarily realize that we're kind of on them. 
but I do see there's this big question of embodiment floating around in ways I've not seen people talking about before. I hear a lot of people saying how they want to make a more concerted effort to practice embodiment, like a lot of New Year's resolutions around embodiment. And maybe that's because that's a space I'm curious about and spend time looking into. But I don't remember a time where I had so many people sort of using that word when Mm. having conversations with me about resolutions and goals. And I think that, in my experience, is like a very key indicator that this element that I care so much about, which is changing our relationship to movement and our body and seeing it as a relationship, rather this thing that has this one or two dimensional facet to it. And, and really starting to revolutionize how people choose to interact with this technology and this medium of movement. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I noticed a lot too, like, you know, just being lucky enough now to like kind of, you know, find my way into some of these like dance spaces and just witnessing kind of like all the different people who are choosing to walk into those doors now. And I don't know if it's always been that way, but I'm like, Oh, maybe that looks a little different than like what it was in the past, you know, like, you Mm. know, more people who are curious and asking questions and probably has a lot to do with like the access to things like podcasts and things where people are bringing things up and, throwing out words and ideas and names and places that never would have normally been so kind of available. Right. And, you know, I go in, I do jujitsu and like you go to a jujitsu school and like, there's so many people from so many different walks of life, like coming in there and, you know, and it's all the same thing, you know, it's really Mm. these, these places where we're asked to have like this, like full body listening happening and even if people can't articulate it or not, it's like those things are gaining a little more, a little more steam. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that there's, there's more to come. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this sort of um, initiates a question for me to you. Okay. What are some things you see percolating and what are you excited about in the years to come? What do I see percolating and what am I excited about? Mm. Well, in my experience, uh, what I see percolating is, at least in my world, the places that I kind of drift through is uh, a little bit of the welcoming of I don't know, which Mm. is really nice. You know, people who are willing to show up at a place and, and, not have to gain something that the being there is, is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Like they don't need to be able to go to a bar afterward and, and talk about what they learned <clears throat> that just the fact that they did happened. And I think you see a lot of those things <clears throat> from different worlds. People are into ecstatic dance, you know, people go to burning man, people, um, you know, they want to go play in parks and toss tennis balls around and things like that. So like, I think that maybe it's just a wish, but I mm-hmm. kind of think it that there's like going to be more of this, like, well, we don't need to go and like achieve something mm. that like, we can just go like be, and the yeah. being is enough. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish for that. 
because I think that that on a grander scale means the world looks a lot different. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said in the beginning, like, you know, our, our mindsets that we kind of explore in certain arenas aren't limited to those places. They kind of follow us, like they transcend. Mm-hmm. So the, the world where people are more open to surprise is the world where people are willing to dance with each other instead of like trying to defeat each other. Yeah. Or they're willing to like dance with the world rather than defeat the world. Yeah. Yeah. Or dance with life rather than defeat life. Mm. So, you know, it's a little philosophical, but I mean, I'm, those are the things that I like to see. And those are the things that I see happen in these places that are not built around like goals, achievement, winning. Oh, I think it's such a powerful shift because in my in my experience, I think this is like one of the biggest problems of our society as it stands is today. Mm-hmm. Goals, achievement, progress, mm-hmm. productivity. Yeah. And these these are not bad things inherently, but when they are the num like the highly prioritized thing, the thing that like overshadows all, all else, then they become problems. And I think like a lot of the corruption, the greed, the inequality, the dehumanization dehumanization of people all stems from some of these core principles of force and um i think this this place of listening and being present and just allowing ourselves to be is is really such an important tenant of humanity and being alive and the more we can foster that the more we can allow ourselves to all sort of co-create together to play together live together and um and be in the contrast of like not agreeing all the time and letting that be okay Mm. you know this is a huge thing of uh, and also like a huge impedance to our well-being that is this need for others to see things the same way we do like this this deep need that i am not satisfied unless you agree with me well that would be a pretty boring place if we actually were able to achieve that. And like, maybe that's not the point. Like maybe you learn something about yourself through the interaction of the other and, you know, hearing things that maybe don't resonate with you, but give you something to think about give you something to chew on. And I think something I feel really strongly about as a, as a species that we need to learn how to do better is to, have these dialogues and exchanges where we don't see eye to eye and to be fine there, you know, to, to be able to be present with that, to be okay, to be able to receive that and let that be. And movement is another tool for communication, right? When When we're only limited to the words, that's when it's, things are really tough, right? But we're also two nervous systems having a conversation at the same time. So the more tools we have for communicating, right? Like the more we can probably sit and hear words that are different from ours and find other ways to find the bridges, mm. you know? Mm. So yeah, I, I, I love that message. I think that's really beautiful. And, and I hope that it uh, is something that people really spend some time reflecting on because I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. Mm. Yeah. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be yeah. hurtful to each other. We're not supposed to be like causing pain to each other, but we are supposed to be different because that's like feeds like the collective mind. Yeah. And it feeds the expansion. It feeds the innovation. It feeds the creation. 
yeah. creation doesn't happen without contrast. Yeah. Um, but we're always busy fighting the contrast instead of embracing it and appreciating it for what it's really generating. Yeah. Um, first, this was amazing. I understand now why people were like telling me like, oh, you guys need to connect. Because <laughs> now Yay! I'm like, I'm like, now I'm like, oh, we have to like meet in person and like work on something. Yeah. Together. Oh my God. Yeah. I would love to. I feel like I was like, oh, where have you been all my life? Like yeah. fellow brother and like, you know, like soul friend. We, I feel like we've been doing the same work using different languages vocabularies and like structures but like really trying to feed into the same thing totally um, and leah had said the same thing to me she's like have you met kyle yet? i feel like you guys have a lot to talk about I like i know he has a podcast he also like talks about curiosity and play and like openness mm-hmm. and um as i've been going through like my dark night of the soul this last year mm-hmm. which i'm grateful for it's taught me so much um I'm just really happy we were finally able to connect. Oh, it's amazing. If people want to find you, what's the best way or, or chat with you or anything? What, how do we do it? Oh my God. So many ways to find me. That's almost the overwhelming part. Um, <laughs> you can always email me directly. Um, Marie at evolna.com. And that's spelled E-V-O-L-N-A. You can find me on Instagram just my full name marie janicek you can find me through this thing called movement my podcast um you can also find me through my personal website www.mariejanicek.com i welcome exchanges with anybody i love talking about movement i love connecting with people and helping them tune in to the magic that is the human body And any way that I can be of service, whether it's talking to people or sharing videos or just like hopping on podcasts to chat with other movement enthusiasts, I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect and talk more about this incredible space that I think we need to give so much more appreciation and homage and reverence to because it's already doing so much for us.